Hey book friends, welcome to Books and Tea with Kiri and Corey. Listen along each week as we have a book club of two over a cup of tea. Our goal is to explore beloved genres as well as push ourselves out of our comfort zone. Visit our podcast site to learn how we pick our genres and books. We encourage you to read along with us and share your comments and opinions too. This is episode 11. In today's episode, we are talking about magical realism. All right, let's get started. Hey, Corey, how's it going today? <laughs> well, this is the third time we've started, so it's going great. <laughs> it's been a good start to recording today. <laughs> yeah, as usual, I think life is still kind of a hot mess. We love doing this, but the transition, we've had a lot of life transitions we as have. of late. With my new job, there's just still been some hiccups here and there, but I'm glad to take a little break and think about something different and talk books with you. I know, it's so exciting. Yeah, I feel like since we've started this project, I got a new job, mm-hmm. and that's been kind of exhausting as I'm starting to learn that, and now you have a new job, and we don't <laughs> see each other or talk as often as we have been, except for when we get together to record, so it's nice to be able to still make time for mm-hmm. this project. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We're, I'm determined to not let this drop. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, so technically, we're on our lunch break, and we're mm-hmm. recording at our work, mm-hmm. so I think we have both brought our own beverages. What did you bring today, Corey? I bought brought the oh so fancy beverage of H2O. <laughs> <laughs> it's in a coffee container, so I thought it might be coffee or tea. No, um, and my lunch was a power bar, so oh, that is just indicative of how my day is going. <laughs> I like snarfed down a salad before I came over here. Mm. I was like, I just have to eat something, and I'm sipping on some sweet beet juice to get in my vitamins because it seems like everybody in my office is getting sick. Yeah, well, the students are back and spreading all their germs. nasty germs. 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 <laughs> nasty children. Yeah. So today we are doing magical realism. And Corey, what have you found out about this beloved genre of ours? Yeah. Well, that would be my first thing is I think we both like magical realism. I feel like we've shared books back and forth. Like what's that one with the witching books that are like really thick? The Savannah Witching books? No. Or no, the Discovery of Witches. Yeah, yeah, the Discovery of Witches series. Like, those were interesting. Outlander, I mean, that's another yeah. magical realism, although I really, meh, no. I think I like more like the witches and vampires and ghosts type yeah. of magical realism. Yeah. Which is what magical realism is. So basically, what happens with magical realism, thank you, Wikipedia, <laughs> magical realism portrays fantastical events in an otherwise realistic tone. It brings fables, folktales, and myths into contemporary social relevance. Fantasy traits given to characters such as levitation, telepathy, and telekinesis help to encompass modern political realities that can be phantasmorical. Hmm. Yeah, I think I like that. Like, if we remember, I think it got a little too out of the realism for me with... um, (laughs) The short story collection. The short story collection and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, right, right, yeah. So I don't mind an element of weird or fantasy, but if it gets a little too out there, then I think it's just hard for me to relate to. Yeah, I kind of feel like it has to not only have this paranormal or supernatural. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And but it also has like to have some sort of different storyline, like a love story or a portrayal of a family, and they're going through the realization that their kid is magical, like Harry mm-hmm. Potter or yeah, something Harry Potter like that. Would be a so example. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I've read all the Twilights. I've read, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. as much magical realism as I possibly can that have gotten 
relatively good reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like I like that in TV shows as well. Like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one of my all-time favorite shows. Yeah. I used to love Charmed so much. Mm-hmm. Like Charmed was my jam. Yeah. I started yeah. watching it again like last year on Netflix <laughs> and I was like, how did I ever like this show? Just <laughs> I think because the technology was so oh, true, lame true. back okay. then. Okay. So I, I sometimes watch a little Vampire Diaries when I need something really mindless to watch. I just watch Grey's Anatomy over and over again, which is the complete opposite of magical realism. Or is it? Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what are some other books that fall under this genre? Well, I looked up a few kind of the classical ones, and the first one that all comes up on almost every single list uh, is 100 Years of Solitude by Gabrielle Garcia Marquez, which mm. I think is on our reading list for later. Which I think is a hefty, hefty book. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. I but. haven't either. So I'm looking forward to the challenge, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Beloved by Toni Morrison. That's a good book, yeah. Um, and She's Haunted by a Ghost. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. What else is out there? Oh, oh, Isabel Allende is also known for her books, in particular The House of Spirits, which again has ghosts and whatnot. Like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel. Yeah, so I think those are probably a few good examples of it. Another Toni Morrison one, Song of Solomon. Which we're going to read later. I think that's oh, one okay. of my picks for oh, something. Cool. Yeah. yeah. What I find interesting is a lot of Latin American and African American authors seem to use it, at least in like some of the classics that they're listing out. I think it's because of how they grew up. Like If you remember the brief, wondrous life of Oscar Wow, his mm-hmm. family was Puerto Rican, right? And they're... Dominican. Dominican. And mm-hmm. so they have like a lot of history about not myths but to what they feel is yeah well i would say myths yeah Yeah. myths and legends yeah yeah okay and i think that stems a lot from south america Uh as well as africa like yeah all the voodoo dolls got created in africa like all Uh of those types of things so i wonder if their roots are just stronger than us americans (laughs) embracing the mystical yeah the potential of the mystical right while we shoot it down unless it's vampires or witches or wizards or science yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so for this week, we ended up picking two completely different books, which was kind of exciting, mm-hmm. different in sense of their context. Yep. Although I would still say there was some interesting parallels and themes. Oh, I'll be interested to see what you have to say, because I did not find a single parallel to them. Well, I might be making it up, too. <laughs> It might be a bit of a stretch, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> so for this week, Corey, what did you end up picking? I picked Exit West by Mohsin Hamid. It's about a couple, Nadia and Saeed. And as the description says, they're in a country on the brink of civil war. The country is never named, but it's obvious that it's some sort of Middle Eastern country. Right. Just based on some of the cultural references. And... What makes this book magical realism is that the way that they escape from impending war in their country is there's these mysterious black doors that start opening up randomly. And if you can find one and go through one, it takes you to another place in the world. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily know where you're going to end up. Sometimes they know and sometimes they don't. But it's all about escaping And this is happening all over the world. And I felt in some ways this felt like a parable or an allegorical story because it had a really strong message about how we treat refugees who are trying to escape and go to a better place. 
Many times when he's describing the people in the different settlements, he references them as people of color. Mm-hmm. He talks about nativists who are pushing back against these people that are arriving in their country, who are escaping from someplace not as good or that is war-torn or that they're trying to find a better life. And they're, and they're ending up in places like London. The most interesting parts is sometimes a door would appear and then people would just find it and start coming in from all sorts of different places. And in London, when Nadia and Said arrive, they arrive into an, a mansion in London that was uninhabited. And all these people arrive and basically take over the mansion and become squatters. Mm-hmm. And then it spreads out from there. And so they take over this whole area And then there's like walls and they're cutting off electricity to them and there's brutality and people fighting and pushing back. But yet they're also creating these communities and they're finding like-minded people and people from their own culture and country and building their own little mini societies and communities while they're there. You know, and then they moved to Marin outside of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And similarly, it's, you know, these people trying to build a life and create these new rules of community based on all of this different type of Really, you know, they're talking about immigration Yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. So, yeah, so the magical realism part was kind of how people are getting from one place to the next. The story itself, I mean, it could be anywhere today, honestly. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I got a sense throughout this book that I didn't really know why things were happening the way mm-hmm. they were happening. There was no explanation as mm-hmm. to why the country was going to war, except for that it was going to war. Yeah, they kept referencing, like, the rebels... Right, but it kind of seems like every time they jumped through a door anyway, that country that they were going to was already in somewhat of a war. Like, Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. didn't seem like any of the places that they went were whole or complete. Yeah. Which was confusing to me. I think (laughs) all of my random things are like, but why? Again, but why? (laughs) Why? (laughs) No love story here. And I mean, Mm. you know, I was trying so hard to get something Mm -hmm. out of this book and... I see the parallels for immigration or uh, refugees clearly, but, you know, there just wasn't any any reason because there are people sure. coming from all sorts of different countries going through these doors. So mm-hmm. were zombies, like, attacking the whole country and the whole world, or was there, like, a global nuclear war happening? Because it just mm-hmm. seemed like everybody from every single culture and country was popping through doors. Well, the, I think what I took away is really the analogy is is why do people migrate they all have their reasons for moving someplace new mm-hmm. they're most often when people move they're trying to better their lives i mean right. it, even in, even within the united states if you think about when you move you typically have a specific reason for moving you know maybe your family in your family a parent lost their job and mm-hmm. they had to move elsewhere to get a new job right. or you want a new experience you're escaping a bad relationship you know, anytime someone moves from one location to the next and relocates themselves, they're wanting to make a major change in their life. Yeah, I guess because I haven't moved maybe in like 28 years that mm. I kind of feel like, okay. why? I yeah. don't know. Flagstaff's so, just great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's what I took away from it is that it's, it was kind of a commentary on, you know, in desperate times, people will do what they have to do to move someplace new. And I think, you know, the other thing that came out of it that they kept talking about is sometimes they'd be like is where we're at right now better than where we came from? Um, mm-hmm. Because as people push back and we're like, we don't want you people coming here mm-hmm. that travel through the doors and 
you know, they felt under attack, they felt isolated, they felt unsafe, unsettled, but they had no way of going back either, which is often an issue with, again, forced or unforced migration or immigration today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think the point he was trying to make was, you know, people are just trying to get by. Yeah. And I, what I wrote down is, I think it begs the question of can love survive the loss of or major changes that happen in war? Mm-hmm. Because Said and um, Nadia. Nadia, you know, they are supposedly in love after like a month, I feel like, of dating. And then they go on this epic journey together mm-hmm. once Said's mom dies. And I don't know, like it just seemed like a very unrealistic relationship to me, which made it hard for mm-hmm. me to kind of have that compassion because Mm -hmm. they were just thrown into this situation of being immigrants now and Mm -hmm. trying to find a place that would take them that they could be happy and try and build a relationship but at some point you could see the relationship fracturing off Mm -hmm. and those little petals slowly falling off the flower nice analogy (laughs) (laughs) and I you know part of me was wondering like is it because they didn't have any sex so because Saeed was super religious and didn't want to have sex until marriage or was it because of their different views on religion and spirituality I mean I feel like those two Mm -hmm. things while we try not to say that sex is an important part of a relationship Mm -hmm. it is an important part of a relationship if you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody and procreate or not procreate and then mm-hmm. religion and spirituality. Yeah. And they were on two totally separate fields. And Saeed kept getting more and more religious and more and more spiritual. While Nadia, it seemed, was like, mm-hmm. why are you praying all the time? Like, you're praying all the time now. And yeah. I would imagine that would be hard if you were to date somebody that was either super religious or was not super religious mm-hmm. and you were. Yeah. Well, yeah, I agree. I think, again, age-old story, they were... Who knows if they had stayed in their home country, that relationship may not lasted as long as it yeah. did. They were kind of forced together through circumstances, mm-hmm. and and they did rely on each other. And I think they felt like that that was the one person they could count on, even when they were angry at each other. Yeah. As well as, of course, Saeed's father having pressed Nadia to take care of Saeed. And, you know, I think they were pretty young when they met. Mm -hmm. And then they start both being introduced to new worlds and similar to the, like the religion and and values. They kept showing how Saeed kept wanting to find people like himself. And Mm -hmm. that was who he kept connecting with. He needed that familiarity and that comfort as he tried to establish roots in in these new places where Nadia was more intrigued by meeting new people who were different from her and learning from them. And I think, you know, that's, again, part of them just growing up and being exposed to new things. I think they started to diverge, and they just really, it took them a long time to recognize that it was going to be healthier for both of them to go their separate ways. And we saw it was a really hard breakup for them. Mm-hmm. And I thought the when they got reunited at the end and talked yeah. for a little bit, it was kind of cool. Yeah. I definitely felt like it reminded me of high school relationships mm-hmm. of, like, you're in a relationship with somebody for the first time and it's like, ooh, this is so exciting. It's us against the world. And then, you know, however long later it kind of crumbles and then you don't talk to each other mm-hmm. and you block each other on social media. And then at some point realization comes, you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. You can have mm-hmm. a relationship with them. And I mean, I'm not friends with all of my exes, but there are a few that I'm sure. friends with still. And I did that whole thing of not talking and Mm -hmm. going from talking all the time to not talking is really hard. And then Mm -hmm. trying to reestablish a relationship after not talking Mm -hmm. for so long is also difficult. So 
it reminded me of high school or early 20s love. Yeah, and I think that's totally it. And I think it's looking at how what do you do with that type of relationship when it's not allowed to burn out naturally right. like it would with a more maybe a more stable environment. Yeah, it definitely seems like they stuck around longer with each other until they found the right place where both of them mm-hmm. could possibly succeed because Nadia ends up going to that bakery <laughs> and Saeed, I don't know what he does, but he falls in love with a preacher's right. daughter basically yeah. and has to explore that. Mm-hmm. And, well, and I mean, Nadia, she ends up hooking up. She, be, she takes on a lesbian lover. <laughs> which i thought was you know again i mean yeah, yeah they they both grew up and in growing up they grew apart right yeah. I, I totally forgot they found about themselves that. and they realized that in finding themselves they weren't meant to be together anymore. yeah and that so. they were supposed to probably be brother and sister which is how they mm-hmm. presented themselves to <laughs> saeed's mom and dad at the mm-hmm. very beginning when mm-hmm. the war started happening of like this is mm-hmm. we can just be brother and sister and yeah so i think that ending was brought on very quickly in the beginning of the book definitely yeah well i guess we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the girl with the glass feet sounds good all right so this week i picked the girl with glass feet by ali shaw And this is an interesting (laughs) book about a young woman, Ida. You first meet her and she's kind of walking funny and you're like, oh, well, you already know the title of the book. So you kind of imagine that her feet are going to be made out of glass. So she meets, what's his, Midas. Midas. Midas, Mm -hmm. And they kind of start a friendship. And she, for some reason, while I was reading this book, she felt very old. Like, it felt like it was not in this century or, like, this time period. Did mm. you get that feeling? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah it Especially was a little out of time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it wasn't until later when she said the F word that I was like, oh, maybe it's the 21st century after all, but it could just be a time warp. But anyway, they're on an island, and they meet – I don't even remember how they meet. She's just sitting there, and he's – yeah, he's, he's chasing light. Yeah, yeah, right. So they meet, and this friendship forms, and you kind of – it goes back and forth between multiple narrators. Mm-hmm. Midas's dad is one. Yep. So Henry was... something. Henry the... Oh, the, yeah, Fuba. Yeah, he's one. Carl. Carl. Yeah. Carl. Carl. <laughs> and yeah, they're Ida. All inter- yeah, they're all interrelated, too. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, overlap. So Midas finds out that basically Ida's feet are glass and... They are on a mission to basically find out a cure of mm-hmm. how to get rid of the glass spreading because it's slowly crawling up mm-hmm. her legs. And Well, and this is her second. So so she had come to the islands for a summer holiday the year before, and that was when whatever happened to cause her to start turning to glass happened. So right. she was coming back to see if she could figure out a, a cure or a solution and do we even know what caused her feet to turn into nope. glass I was I was trying to pay attention throughout the book and I was like I don't think they told us yeah I think this book is really a better example of magical realism in that there's all sorts of weird things happening on this island some things that are really fantastical and some things that are normal and so I think this glass feet syndrome or this turning to glass syndrome is just you know, an isolated thing that happens to a couple people every so often. They never really explain why or how. It just, you know, it happens. Yeah. And so Midas eventually 
acknowledges that he's fallen for Ida after a little fight that they had while she's trying to get treatment. And once he comes back and they live a short, happy life for a little bit and the tragic ending of Ida's ending, it was heartbreaking. I was like, I know. it happened so fast. So eventually, <laughs> spoiler, Ida turns into glass as they're on a boat together and she's like crying and they're holding each other. And it seems like it takes mm-hmm. five seconds from it to go from her like shins to her whole entire body, yeah. like mm-hmm. so fast. And mm-hmm. it was so, he pushes her into the water and I was just like, oh no. Yeah, it definitely had a sad ending. Well, and so I think, so one of my parallels that I found was, I guess like the odd couple. Oh, right, yeah. So again, Nadia and Saeed were kind of pushed together by circumstances outside of their, well, I guess they weren't, they stayed together because of um, circumstances outside of their control. Yeah. And these two, you know, Midas is this quirky, reclusive, odd young man, and Ida, outside of turning to glass, seems like the more normal, if you will, <laughs> kind of young girl. And uh, they probably would have never fallen for each other if she hadn't come to this island and wasn't yeah. going through what she was going through. Yeah. I found that the whole book kind of had these random love triangles, mm-hmm. like Carl and or not Carl, Midas's dad and the woman that supposedly has a cure. Oh, shoot. What's her oh, name? Oh, no, that was no, that was Carl. Oh, that was it Carl? It was Carl. Okay. Midas's dad didn't have an affair, He just, other than with his own knowledge, I think. Right. And then <laughs> uh, Midas's mom and was... And Henry. Yes. Yes. And then oh, Ida's so... mother and Carl... And oh, then right. <laughs> Carl and the woman who had the potential cure. Right. So, yeah, yeah there are a lot of love triangles. Of love That's triangles. What, one of the things that I wrote down was what is going on with these love triangles because it was just everybody was interconnected. Like, they all mm-hmm. knew each other in mm-hmm. some fashion, whether it was just their parents. I, I guess it was mostly the adults that mm-hmm. knew each other. I think that was the nature of it being a really small island. Yeah, that's uh, true. I think that was where a lot of that came from. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really sad it was a sad story. It was a little, yeah, it definitely had some very bizarre elements. The little uh, butterfly cow thing, mm-hmm. or moth cows, were interesting, and the whole glass thing. Yeah. Um, I think the author tried to end on kind of a high note with kind of that this gave Midas a chance to grow up and get some redemption, but... Then it's just kind of, I don't know. I wasn't crazy about the ending. It just kind of... It ended too quickly. Mm-hmm. It was like, we're going to give you 200, 300 pages of all of this backstory, mm-hmm. and then we're going to end the book mm-hmm. and Ida dying in like five pages. Right. It was too fast. Mm. I think, you know, the island was so fantastical. I could almost see this being an interesting series mm-hmm. where, you know, different hijinks are happening with different characters on the island related to some of the more magical elements Mm -hmm. i think the author spent so much time developing the island and then in the characters and then to just kind of you know kill ida off and and then send send midas off on diving adventures i I was like that's how we're ending this i mean i I don't know i mean i guess i I always feel bad when i say that because sometimes i'm like i don't like that ending but i don't know how else how else the author would have ended it either I, I don't know. I feel like maybe some more explanation as to why. Because there was a man made out of glass in the pond, right? right. That yeah. Carl pulled out. Mm-hmm. Like two. So there are two now, three people, if you include the person that was on the videotape trying to get a cure, that were made out of glass. Four. 
Four. Who's the fourth one? Midas's dad. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Four. Yeah, because they implied at first that he yeah. had a tumor, and then you realize, oh, no, his heart, his heart was turning, is into, turning glass. into glass. Which I think is a perfect metaphor for that I was going to say, there's got to be a metaphor there. <laughs> that dude was such a tool, and so it made, mm-hmm. like, he didn't seem to have any sort of heart when you're mm-hmm. reading about them. So it's interesting that his heart is the first thing that goes. So the mm-hmm. glass affects people differently. It starts out at different locations, and... Mm-hmm goes quickly, goes slowly. I think Midas's dad ended up just killing himself he before did. it could, you know, take over his whole body. So pretty interesting. I would hate to be turning into glass. That'd be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah. Sounds painful. I did have to, did, what did you think about Ida's cursing? Her cursing. Yeah. Like all of a sudden she started using these curse words, like almost towards the end of the book. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Or I, at least I didn't, it didn't stand out to me. I oh, guess it I should stood say. out so much to me because I viewed Ida as like this, you know, young woman who is kind of like a little old lady. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she was saying the F word all the time. And I was mm. like, wait, what? I didn't what? see her as an old lady. I mean, cause she would reference her life before glass feet and she talked about partying and having sex and uh, I I guess I just viewed her as a petite <laughs> little old lady. <laughs> maybe maybe that was the way she was introduced because she seemed so fragile yeah. and frail. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely remember thinking that she was a, again, I hate to use the word normal, but a typical, mm-hmm. you know, early 20-something girl until this happened. Yeah, I don't know. It threw me off. The cursing thing threw me off. And she was so aggressive with Midas sometimes, like mm-hmm. with the whole him turning away from her when mm-hmm. she tries to kiss him and yeah. him her being like, what the F do you want, Midas? And I was just like, dude, calm down. But I guess maybe if your life is coming to an end, <laughs> you make things quick. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, well, you know, maybe she's she's losing patience and she's like, well, shoot, I have no time left. Yeah. So if I don't push for what I want and if I don't do the things I want to do and say the things I want to say, when else am I going to say them? Right. So maybe that was part of her change as she started accepting her fate and realizing that there was not going to be a cure. Well, and it seemed like, so she made the comment about she got her leg hit the door frame as they were coming in and that part started turning hard. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the pressure or any sort of bruising or hitting of something would cause her to turn glass, which then made me wonder if it's, she turned to glass faster because her and Midas had sex. Mm, maybe. And that, like, I mean, it's not blunt force, but it's still somebody's weight on top of you, right. which could have caused it to speed up really mm-hmm, quickly. Because mm-hmm. I feel like they had had sex, and then it was like 10 pages later, they were on a boat. Yeah. And, and she then she died. Turning into glass, <laughs> like glass head to foot. Yeah. So I don't know. It was, time was very hard for me to judge throughout this book. Mm-hmm, it kind of mm-hmm. seemed like it happened in a week. Yeah, now that you say that, I'm not sure how long of a time period this went over, but it wasn't that long. You're no. right; it couldn't have it couldn't have been more than a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the cover is beautiful. I it really, is really I really pretty. love the cover. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, it, it it you know what I would say, just generally speaking, it got off to a little bit of a slow start for me. It did, yeah, for um, me as well. And then probably, I don't know, not too far in, maybe 15 or 20 pages, I started really appreciating the writing. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought the descriptions were very beautiful. Mm -hmm. 
Mr. Shaw is a very good writer, mm-hmm. and um, it had some of those quaint British turn of turns yeah. of phrase that I like, <laughs> like Me the wife too. runs. I was like, oh, what's a wife? Oh, he's talking about tidy whities Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably one of my favorite books that we've read so far, oh, even wow. though it wasn't a happy mm-hmm. ending and mm-hmm. it ended too quickly. The descriptions were beautiful but not overbearing no and it was an interesting story like I really wanted them to get their happy ending Mm -hmm. like I really wanted there to be Mm -hmm. a cure because Midas to me was like this huge loner yeah and just looked at things through his camera and Ida was this recluse of like I'm gonna stir things up and say Mm -hmm. what I want to say so that was it was it was sad that they didn't get there I mean I guess they got a happy ending but she died so it's Mm -hmm. not very happy for Midas because it seems like Catherine, who is briefly mentioned mm-hmm. throughout the book, has also died. Yep. And I think that they There's were in a, a relationship. In no. So she Ka- was in a relationship with his best friend. Right. So yeah. Catherine and Gustave were married. And then it sounded like she drowned. They didn't really go into a whole lot of detail yeah. about how that happened. But There's a see- lot of unanswered questions in this book, which makes me mm-hmm. wonder if maybe there will be another one. Maybe. Yeah. It's a good way to have a series. Like you leave off certain details from certain characters and then you're like, and now this book is about mm-hmm. such and such. Yep. Well and... that's what yeah, that's why I was saying I feel like he introduced the backstory of a few of the characters and kinda left you wondering. Mm-hmm. I mean, again the Henry Fouah character mm-hmm. and his crazy little things or <laughs> or some of those past love affairs. Yeah. And, so I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see what Ali Shaw has out next. Yeah. And I do have some quotes that I really liked. Oh, good. Sure. So the first one is, Sometimes Midas suspected that life was a film with subliminal messages. Things would move along with an acceptable degree of predictability, then be punctuated by some horrible childhood memory. Oh. <laughs> and then the other one that I have, it's kind of a long one, but I just thought it was really beautiful, was... It was the touch that made him realize he loved her. Warmth from her scalp, grease from her locks, he entwined his hands in her hair. It shrank through his moving fingers like sand. They lay together for a long time. Somewhere outside, a dog barked. He could barely believe he had lived so long without wanting touch. Photography made him forget the necessity of feeling. I picked sad quotes. You did pick sad quotes. Yeah, I was trying to see if I could find one of the quotes that I liked as an example, but I think really a lot of it was, a lot of it was the setting descriptions. Mm-hmm. I, again, he he has the magical realism thing down because he would describe these normal settings, but use certain words that would make it seem kind of otherworldly and a mm-hmm. little more magical. Uh, just the way ways that we wouldn't normally look at the world, I think. and you, But you'd understand what he was describing and you could almost visualize what he was saying. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was a it was a good read. I liked it. Good job, Allie. Yay! <laughs> good job, Allie. Good job, Kiri. Good job, Corey. Yeah. We, we picked some good ones this we did. week. We did. So anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I think we are good for this week. What are we doing next week? Next week, we're doing sci-fi. Oh, that's right. So I picked Dune by Herbert Frank. Frank Herbert. Frank Herbert. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have the book with me, so I can't read the description of it. But basically, think Game of Thrones, but in the desert and on a different planet. I think that's a good summary Mm -hmm. of it. She borrowed that from me, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a classic. Yeah. And then I picked The Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick which both of them have been turned into 
books or movies. So, yep. yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> movies or, or TV, TV shows. shows. Yeah. yeah, TV shows. I think that's all we've got for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, guys. Hey, book friends. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Head over to booksandteapodcast.com to share your recommendations with us and your opinions on the books we've read. You'll find a full list of titles for the books mentioned in today's podcast, as well as the tea we drank. Or water. If you're on any social media, stop by our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts to stay up to date with what's going on. If you enjoy listening to our show, please go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Android, Stitcher, or wherever you use to listen and write a review. Reviews from listeners like you make it easier for others to find books and tea. To be the first to hear about the next new podcast and what we are working on, make sure you subscribe at booksandteapodcast.com.